0: One of the biggest things that I feel strongly about counteracting is stereotyping, because what happens is you throw people under a broad label when the individual is so much more complicated than that. There are over 4,000 recognized religions in the world. Which one are you leaving? Why are you deconverting? Welcome to the Deconversion Podcast, where we explore the experiences and challenges of deconverting from religious faith. We are here to discuss and explore this topic and help you on your journey to living an authentic life.
1: Three, two, one. Welcome to the Deconversion Podcast. You're here with me, Isaac Taylor, and then great amigo here, Timothy Thomason. How's it going, everybody? So, first things first, man. What is deconversion? Deconversion is
0: the process that an individual experiences as they leave a religious faith of some kind. At least that's what it's coming to be known as. It's a relatively new term, and that's why we picked it for the podcast, is that this is uh, something that I've personally gone through. I've known several people that have gone through it, and it's a subject that's getting discussed by people who are exiting religion.
1: Yeah, so... If you were to look up the word deconversion, like on Webster's dictionary, it's not going to come up, but it is being used quite a bit in our
0: society. Yeah, it's starting to get thrown around quite a bit. It's coming up more and more. The first use of the term deconversion that made me aware of it was when Seth Andrews, who is the host of the Thinking Atheist podcast, he used it in reference to, to his book, okay, which I think was titled Deconverting. That's when I first heard it. And then it just it keeps coming back up because I always refer to my experience going from being a Christian to being an atheist as a deconversion.
1: The fact that this really isn't like a term that was used and we're starting to hear it more and more, it leads to the question, is deconversion a prevalent subject for our society today?
0: I think so. That's why we're starting a podcast. I think that it's it's happening more and more every year when we get some Gallup polls of all different kinds come out. They keep talking about the nuns, and nun is more of a blanket term in a lot of those polls to reflect individuals who are no longer believers or they don't practice a form of religious belief. They would rather they either are keeping it to themselves or they would rather just put down that they're not a part of anything, and. That doesn't quite completely encompass where I have landed because I, I have some pretty strong thoughts about this stuff, but it doesn't. Co- if I get encounter that question, I'm going to put none. I don't practice. And so that's growing. And then the whole ebb and flow of our country right now and things that are going on, my experience with my nephew deconverting, another member of my family leaving faith, lots of people are going through this right now.
1: Are it's- we seeing this happen to multiple people throughout the United States, throughout the world, or is this just something that's happening in a very small community? I
0: I think it's happening on a larger scale now. It's not nearly as isolated. It used to be really difficult to run across somebody who would just openly say, hey, I'm an atheist or I don't practice religion. People are being a whole lot more open about it. And I think one of the big driving factors is just that There's a lot of conflict going on within the church and politics and things right now. People are either going, I don't like where religion's getting me to, or I just, I'm ready for something new. And some people try and change their religious belief to not go with the mainstream. And then you have people that come out and straight up question it and say, I don't need that in my life anymore. I want to do something else. People feel like it's an inauthentic or it's hypocritical. You and I were discussing here just the other day, the documentary on discovery about the Hillsong church and people are discovering, Hey, there's, there's corruption and they purport to do one thing, but other things are happening. And people who have integrity have a, can have a hard time with this stuff. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to leave their religion, but in a lot of cases, it does mean some people are leaving religion. And that's where this term deconversion comes up and you get ministers talking about it because church attendance is going down.
1: One of the things that I find interesting is when you ask someone or if someone asks you or if the subject comes up about where you go to church, there's always somewhat of a disclaimer I'm noticing. I go to this church, but Mm -hmm. I don't hate gay people. I go to this church, but I don't accept all the beliefs. You even see kind of these hybrid belief systems and mm-hmm. even a separation from the beliefs within the organization. That
0: yeah. Had. My primary involvement in church happened around the, the late 90s and the early 2000s before I ended up leaving it. And there was a trend, whereas when I was a little kid, it was more hard-lined and traditional, and sure. then it was getting loosey and goosey, and you have more charismatic churches speaking in tongues, things like that. And now you've got, This other thing, I always refer to it as like hippie Christians, and they're back treading the hardline stuff, anti-homosexual things that have been a standby within churches for a long time. And people are like, oh, I don't really like that. It's just a me thing, and it's a personal relationship between me and Jesus, and it can be whatever I want it to be. Whereas you went back in time, that would not jive with, say, the Catholic church or, or other things. They would just consider them apostates. They've gone a different route. But it's very hip and modern today to trend away or do your own spin on it. For me, that wasn't really didn't work. I had too many problems with other things. And I found that I was like C.S. Lewis. It's either all right or it's all wrong. And I fall into the it's all wrong. And that's what kind of led me down the road of deconversion.
1: Going back to how much is happening on a social level, on a societal level, political level. Why do you think? This conversation is important. Why do you think this podcast is important? Why do you think that deconversion is important?
0: You and I have danced around doing for a long time is that what I discovered when I went through my deconversion was there were certain hardships that were directly associated to me in my life and the way things played out for me. And the more I've interacted with other individuals that have deconverted and the more I have watched communities of people that deal with this, whether it's on social media, or if it's in the public spotlight, everyone can get dealt a different set of cards when it comes to deconversion. There can be consequences in your personal life, your relationships, your job, and it's really just a complete spectrum of things that you can fall into. And I know what my challenges were and what I struggled with and the things I still am challenged with that I continue to work through. I think the whole purpose of, of the podcast and us coming up with this concept and to sit down and have discussions revolving around this is to try and help people who are going through it, struggling with it, to, to one, find community and other people have gone through it, struggle with different things, and then also break down subjects and come up with ways to cope, work through some of these things. Really just to help. And helping sometimes has nothing to do with always having a solution for a problem. It's just sitting down and talking about it. And I think you and I have in our lives, whether it's helping friends in our social circles, the way that you helped me while I went through my deconversion. For those of you who are just tuning in, listening to us for the first time, Isaac and I have been friends for years, and he was well acquainted with me and was a sounding board for me while I went through my deconversion. And we're intimately understand each other on these levels about this stuff and see the need where other people may not have had that type of support when they go through it.
1: One of the big things that we've talked about is creating a safe place to have this type of conversation. One of the things that's ironic is that depending on how you present the conversion to different people, there's a different response. So for example, when I went to print out our posters for the deconversion podcast, And our tagline is leaving religion to live a more authentic life. There is this older guy wearing classic James Avery Mm. Christian jewelry. And he's like, what's this whole leaving religion thing? And immediately I could tell there is a level of defensiveness. There is a tonality and body language that there is about to be a confrontation. And I don't know if I just... One, I don't think I really want to have a conversation, but two, I was curious what the response would be. Mm -hmm. And almost impulsively, I lied and I said, it's to help Muslims leave Islam and come to Christianity, just to see what his response was. And I was about to elaborate on that Mm -hmm. and move forward and say, no, it's any religion. But before I could do that, he's like, good on you, son. Good on you. And so I find it ironic if you say, hey, we're doing this deconversion podcast. There's sometimes this visceral reaction. Yeah. But what if it's the conversion from Scientology?
0: Yeah, exactly. It's not mutu- it's not mutually exclusive to Christianity, although that is something we're going to discuss ad absurdum. We're in right. the United States. That is the predominant religion. That's where a lot of the exodus is happening from. So it's going to get discussed, but it's cross-applicable to to a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, a close friend of ours, my wife and I, I we were talking the other day and we realized that we were also acquaintances with some other friends but this one girl i remember we used to have a free thought group that we get together and have breakfast here in texas where we live. and uh, she and her husband came and had a great time chatting with them but she had left jehovah's witness the difference between what she went through and what i went through in deconversion and leaving religion was completely different and on a whole different level of extreme and so yeah, you run into that. People think it's as long as it's not gets their one thing, they're okay. But it's really it functions in regards to a lot of different things.
1: And when looking at it, one of the things that I think is important for the viewers to know is that you went through this journey, mm-hmm. and you really decided this is where I stand. And then you've challenged that, but that stance has become more solidified. Yeah, yeah. And and I've been more laissez-faire about the whole thing. Yeah, you have. What got me initially into religion because there was a time period where I wanted to be a youth pastor. So I wanted to help people, period. And I thought that the church was going to be a place where I could help people, especially young people in adult transition. I worked with some faith-based foster care systems Mm -hmm. and just really quickly realized, hey, this actually isn't the best vehicle. Religion's not the best vehicle to actually really help people. Yeah. But then that's, it was laws. That of was it. You
0: didn't so, like go reading books. Yeah. Like I did.
1: And I take a deep dive in many areas of my life, sure. but I did in this one. Mm-hmm. So this process and this podcast and our conversations and questioning, it's a little bit of a journey. Like I'm deciding mm-hmm. that now I am going to dig into it. Now I am yeah. going to do- start deciding. Sure. Where do I genuinely stand with everything because man I, well, I was as hippie Christian as you no, could I De- definitely have my own set of moral factors i'm I'm still waiting for like us to learn that like large secretions of dmt means I can talk to trees like know I want to get into that so no, that's fun so that's so I think that's important for the viewers to know that, right. but yeah. we've yeah. always been able to talk, yeah, we've always been able to have a conversation. we're able to have conversations with many people who mm. want to. But this isn't a conversation that many people can have. Yeah. They get too emotional sometimes. They get too defensive. I talked to someone one time and they said that they couldn't let go of their faith because they just couldn't accept that they wouldn't see their parents in heaven. Mm. And that was it. Like everything else, all the other belief systems weren't there. We're going to dig into those types of things. We're going to unearth it. And listening... And having a safe place that communicates one of those things. And that's what this is.
0: Absolutely. And that's what we want to, as we build a community and we kind of, and we're just launching this, we're at the starting point here, but we want to be able to talk to people, have questions asked, discuss different things. And for me, from my perspective, you're deep diving into this, but from my angle of it, of wanting to help people that are going into the throes of deconverting is to, is That you get overwhelmed with information. And while you're questioning things, you can also, depending on what you're coming out of, you could just be getting bombarded by people who want to know why. What's this? And they want to counter argument you back. And you don't even know enough to counter argument back. And you mentioned a second ago that I had arrived at this place where I feel comfortable. And that's a good way of putting it because I can have people, I can have people come knives out on me. about what I think, why I think it, what's my problem with religion, and I know what my responses are. And they have not changed much over the last five, ten years. And I want to be able to take some of that information in the podcast format or whatever formats we come up with for individuals that are going through this and are like, I don't know how to deal with this guy who keeps talking to me about this or that or whatever the specific argument is or whatever. I want to be a source where you can learn some stuff about that. I'm sitting here at a podcast starting this with you, and so much of what I've learned and what I went through in mine, I learned from other people that were podcasting. The Atheist Experience in Austin, The Thinking Atheist, Aaron Raw, all of these other really great non-believers, they're, they're pretty hardlined atheists, and that's where I land, and I got so much good information off of them, but what you just mentioned about having a safe place. To engage with this, I also have a particular feeling for people who were in religion for so long and deconverted. And there's a little bit difference between people who do that and people who have been in non-belief their entire life and always thought it was ridiculous and rightfully so. There can be of a disconnect of understanding between someone who was a believer and is now a not believer. You're separating yourself from some things that you have uh, had a hard time going through and presented unique challenges.
1: The other thing that I think will be a nice by factor of this is helping people with how do I take a large absorption of information and how do I make my own decisions? How do I think for myself? How do I decide what I believe and what I don't believe? Yeah, Because that's one of the most critical skills that you can have as an individual right now.
0: That's a, key part of deconverting. you go from having a moral code that is set out for you from either a biblical standpoint or a religious standpoint and then you find yourself going, I may need to rethink this a little bit. When I deconverted, in some ways, the argument like against God existing or the Bible being the authentic word of God, the critiques against it being literally true was the easy part. okay? Yeah. The hard part was getting to the other side of that and going, well, there are these difficult issues out there. I'll pick a tough one like abortion. All I have done is regurgitate what I was told about abortion from a biblical standpoint. I've never thought about it from a personal level, from a scientific level, or there were a myriad of issues in that vein that are complicated, nuanced issues that required you to re- rethink them and right. go back through that process. And for me, I found oh. those avenues to be far more difficult than the initial argu- the arguments against religion being valid is easy. Right. We can, Some of it is nuanced and complicated, but for me, that was the easy part. I got that, no problem. Figuring but now out you how have I to, felt about stuff was different. You
1: have to reevaluate. Just because I don't believe in Christianity anymore doesn't mean i believe that abortion should happen yeah exactly i have to redefine my i
0: have to redefine how i think about it and again it's one of those things where i end up with a right or wrong answer for that i just have how i feel about it and there's a lot of things that you end up having to do that but creating a safe space for yourself to rethink things and this would be the first piece of advice i send out from this podcast to anyone that's listening to it and going through deconversion is to create a safe place Where you don't have somebody going for your throat, where you don't have somebody getting after you or you're not getting after yourself, to quiet things down and think through things. Rethink. Read. Look on the internet. Google. Google is your friend. Be careful. There's garbage on the internet too. But the main thing is the environment. An environment where you can sit and take time and think things through. And that might be sitting, listening to two guys podcasting, might be going and watching an Aaron Raw video on evolution, which are fantastic, by the way, the the, the research that guy did and being able to convey to you concepts about how evolution works, something I was woefully undereducated on. But that environment that was just me in my apartment with my computer watching a video was the safe place. Don't let people encroach upon that. Take your time. You're not obligated to go out and just like, argue with everyone while you're going through your deconversion you can take time for yourself and it's
1: important or even just one of my goals is that there are christians that are listening to this and this podcast says you know what this is going to give me enough courage not to necessarily change my belief but to start questioning things sure and that i would love to give people the courage to say is this really right? Why do I believe this? Yeah, Do
0: I really believe this to be true? And and One of the other things I I would speak to that directly is that if there is someone out there who we may have some, we were, I was telling you to prepare yourself because whenever you go into this realm of social media, podcasting, whatever, there's all kinds of things that come out of it. But there could be the preacher who's, or youth pastor or whoever that's dealing with lack of attendance and trying to understand what is this deconversion thing, and they might stumble across and listen to this, or someone that has not left faith or is trying to understand what is it that these people are peddling or what is going on, I would say you're just as welcome here as anyone who's actually going through this because we are going to try and break this down in a way so that people can understand the feelings, the emotions, the convictions that can lead people to this. One of the biggest things that I feel strongly about counteracting is stereotyping. Because what happens is you throw people under a broad label when the individual is so much more complicated than that. And unfortunately, a lot of people are capable of doing that, including us. But when it comes to something like this, it tends to be a whole lot more nuanced about the things that are going on with the individual that would lead to this. And so many people made stereotypical judgments about me when I deconverted and why I deconverted. And and there's a lot of them that kind of follow in Christianity. These guys, I would imagine that if there's a Christian listening to us right now who was wanting to understand, he's like, these guys just want to be their own bosses. They don't want to answer to anybody. They want to be their own God. They hate God or they're angry at God. There's a lot of different things that, that they can want to plaster right on on the top. There might be an element of truth to some of those, but I have found that broadly they're inaccurate. It doesn't encompass it. My deconversion came out of a want to reestablish my faith and understand it that led me down this road.
1: Let me interrupt you sure. there because that's I think that's a great segue. Okay. Um, we've pretty much established, okay, what is deconversion? We got it. Is it important to our society? Yes, Regardless of your belief, this is something that this is, is something that's going on in our society, in our, in our country, in our culture. And then there's our personal story and, mm-hmm. and the reasons why we want to do this. Mm-hmm. So I think now we can kind of transition to the beginning. Oh, Let, let's talk about how. Yeah.
0: Who are these two guys on this random why, podcast that just popped up? Why
1: should we even <laughs> listen to them? Like, is it valid? that these guys just come up with an idea? So let's start at the beginning. Were you born into a Christian family?
0: Yes, I was born here in Texas, and uh, my family were, the best way I would put it, are Bible-believing Christians. Went to a small community church locally, just to date myself, I was born in 1985. I grew up going to like just a local Bible church. And then my parents switched over to home church at some point, for what reason, I really don't remember. I was too small. And so I got the Bible according to my parents. And sure. then as I went into my more formative young adult years, they went full bore right wing, uh, evangelical conservative Christianity, which has now turned into what it is today. Sure. But I was right there at the transition where you started to have really upbeat music at church and praying in tongues and all this stuff. When I was younger, 15, 16, 17, it was really uncomfortable. I didn't like it and moved away from it in my late teens, early 20s, and was just doing my own thing, very busy with work and school. And then it was in my early 20s, after some things, we'll go into more detail, we'll, we'll get, get into our full life stories at some point, but got to a point where I had gone through some turmoil in the family and some so a little bit of challenges. And then I landed at a point where I decided I was going to question I questioned things. I was trying to Reestablish my faith because I really wasn't going to church. I wasn't participating. It really didn't mean anything to me. I paid it lip service, which I think I find a lot of people do. But I actually knew very little about it and I just what I had been taught because I had been submerged in it from a young age.
1: So you grew in the church, like you said, your parents' version of the Bible. Did you accept that God was real up until your early 20s? Like you believed in God. Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And not just any God, the specific one, God of the
1: Bible. Right. Yeah. And then we had a really fun podcast and conversation. We have done some podcasts previous to the yes. setup, so we'll drop that kind of just as bonus content on the side.
0: Yeah, we weren't uh, set up nice. Yeah,
1: yeah, we're, we, just- we're not as proud as we're we're proud of the quality of the content. Yes, but not necessarily as proud as the the quality of the production. Yes, but we talked to Anthony, and Anthony said that when you guys worked together, that you were advocating creation science and you were still very much involved oh, in the yeah. church
0: even into my or early in 20s. your belief system
1: yeah. yeah i want to start peeling back the layers a little bit you're working as a manager at Office Max i remember you had some part-time hustles you transitioned to being apartment complex manager and like you said you have this time period where you wanted to reestablish your faith yes what was going on to make you want to reestablish your faith
0: it was a combination of i was watching other people Many people around me like basically pay lip service to their faith. They go to church on Sunday, they espouse a lot of this stuff, but when it comes to other things in their lives and the way that they live on a daily basis, it really doesn't have much of an impact. It was just like, is just there. What you see, especially now with the way the church is, it's you're either all in and God's in every part of your life, and it's all you pray all the time, and you do this, and you don't cuss, you don't have sex before you get married, there are all these rules you're supposed to follow, and it's you're either doing that or you're not. I never understood the splitting the difference or any of that stuff when it came to these kinds of things. It was like one or the other, and I felt like I was on the bottom end of participating in this, and I didn't like how people around me were, so I was like, I'm going to go take a closer look, and that's when I started going back to church.
1: Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So you started going back to church and what were some of the things that you were doing investigate or dig in deeper? Was it just simply going to church or was there other things that way?
0: Um, primarily it was going to church and I was having conversations with the pastor of the church who I was also was friends with. We did martial arts together and I ran into a lot of the same problems I had when I was younger, which was just like, I felt this, mild undercurrent of insincerity from just everyone, people putting a pretty face on and then clickish behavior and just things that I just didn't find appealing for my free time. I have always had a hard time in environments where I feel like it's artificial and it's not the only church I've ever, you know, I felt that at, I felt it at a lot of them. So that was disappointing. And then it culminated with me trying to interact spiritual. I was all into spirituality stuff and I was, everybody would talk about like, Having run ins with God and speaking in tongues or hearing voices and stuff. And that's kind of what I've been raised around. And I, in the back of my head, always thought there must be just something a little bit wrong with me because I don't get what they're talking about then of course they would play off and be like, well, you apparently don't, you just haven't gotten it. Like we've gotten it kind of a and, gaslighting situation. Yeah, absolutely. So it culminated with me going like on a, not a missions trip, but it was like a men's Bible retreat up to the mountains. I came back from it and I was just like, man, this is just like this. And then at the same time I was finishing up my degree in uh, criminology uh, online. And in that I'm like taking courses on, critical thinking on how to not make judgment errors and how to analyze evidence and how to do all this other stuff. And that's when I had the aha moment with an atheist friend who was my martial arts teacher who said, why don't you read the Bible just from beginning to end and see what you think? And just, wow, okay. So then that was the shift was I quit looking at it from like emotion and feeling and only staying within the sphere of the church because you're really not supposed to go outside of the church for analysis. You're not supposed to do that. And you're supposed to do it with like elders or people above you or in authority, not just do it by yourself. I didn't like that. So I went and I investigated by myself and I looked outside of the church and I gathered information, evidence, and it disintegrated pretty fast.
1: Had you ever read the Bible from beginning to end previous to that?
0: No, I I have maybe done some of like the follow alongs where you read bits and pieces every day and I maybe did it for a month or two and I never finished. But this was like a dispassionate start in Genesis and read from beginning to the end of the book.
1: Gotcha. Were you applying some of the, the principles that you were learning from your criminology? Oh, God, no. I was
0: just trying to... to get through it. Have you ever tried to read the Old Testament oh, yeah. with all the I names have, and the yeah. heritage and stuff? Man, it's painful. But it didn't take long getting into it where I saw some things where I was like, what are they yeah. talking about? When I got done with the Bible, it was more of a feeling of just like, man, this is, they just spoon feed you the good parts out of this. There's so much stuff in here that is obviously nonsense. There's so much stuff in here that seems counterintuitive to the morality that I've been taught as an individual to a spouse. And when I say to that actions taken by God himself that run counterpoint to the morality that I've been taught to live by, I got done and I was like, I've got major problems with this. And I wasn't clear how I could articulate them. And so I initially read other religious documents. I read the Koran, the Book of Mormon, these kinds of things. And then I read The God Delusion, that one right there. And then it cascaded from there. Because then it was like, okay, here's all the arguments I want to make. Here they are made very well. And then once I read the counter argument, that was the beginning of the hard work. Because then it was rethinking everything.
1: What Was there a defining moment where you went, I'm done? Like... Oh, yeah. Enough's enough. What was that? What was that defining?
0: When I finished that book, I was like, at that point, I'd been toying around with the term agnostic. I was still struggling with the terminology a little bit. And in retrospect, that kind of comes up all the time. If you're deconverting and you hear people say, oh, I'm agnostic, I'm atheist. It's you can be both at the same time. They answer different questions. Okay. The agnostic is I don't, there's no way to know, which is true. There is no way to know. There's no way to prove positive or negative. It's not. So if there's a God out there, and I'm talking about an abstract God, not a specific one from a religion, that you have to be agnostic about. I'm an atheist about man-made religions, the God of the Bible, the God of the Quran, any of the other stuff, Zeus, Apollo. Those I'm an atheist about because I really don't think they exist. There's no good evidence to support that they exist, so I don't think that they're real. So that's the position that I ended up landing in.
1: How much studying did you get into? How long or how intensive or what were all the actions that you took in this discovery process of, do I believe in this or not?
0: It's still going on. You don't stop. You just continue to learn and, and analyze. But I did a whole tour of religious texts. I did a whole tour of atheist counter arguments and free thought. I did some old school philosophy studies, um, Socrates, Plato, those kinds of classical Greek philosophy which where you can find a lot of precursors to our current secularism and morality that circulates in spite of the Bible and stuff that kind of came out of Greek philosophy. So I studied a lot of that kind of stuff. I had a lot of conversations with a lot of people. A lot I watched a lot of debate on YouTube, a right. lot of people arguing, a lot of Christopher Hitchens arguing with per- predominant Christian apologetics. And I just learned a lot of the arguments and uh, absorbed a ton of information. I still continue to observe information, and it was like that's just on the side of the religion stuff. On the right. other side, I did more science. I did a lot of studying around biology. Didn't know anything about evolution. There were all these. There were all these blank spots where right. I had not studied anything, and so uh, there was a lot of gap filling that and then, went on.
1: And then for the for people listening or people that don't know us. You and I became friends during this process.
0: Yes, we did.
1: Uh, You were managing the apartment complex. I moved into the apartment Mm -hmm. complex. We both worked in proximity of your other job. Yeah. And so we became friends. And then I very much remember uh, you going through this process. Like you said at the beginning, we talked it out. It was Mm -hmm. a safe place. And I was absolutely fascinated and saddened by how much you were treated differently before and after. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. And that was something that I, I was like, this is still Tim. The, this yeah, it's is- like I changed, but I didn't change that much. That's
0: no. I, I would imagine that people listening to this that are going through deconversion are going to have the sensation of like, why is everybody treating me th- like I'm different? And I don't feel that different. It's right. like my, my morality didn't just change overnight or anything like that. I didn't all of a sudden become like, again, stereotypes of a non-believer, you should go, do whatever they want, sleep around, do drugs, whatever. There are all these, far from which, the truth. Which is so far from the truth, but it's unfortunately that is a label that gets slapped onto you. And none of that was going on. It was still just me, is me, except I was getting treated different. Sure. And there's a whole mixture of things that I personally dealt with that other people may have that in common. And some people may not have that in common with me, or they may have had it worse than me too.
1: Okay, so uh, a lot of research, a lot of reading, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of watching debates, like you said. You went through this investigative period as a way to actually reconnect with your faith and make it stronger. Quite the opposite happened. Was all of this, was this the hardest part of the deconversion process?
0: It was hard, but it's a different kind of hard. Everyone's going to be a little bit different. For some people, book studies easy. For other people, book, study, and trying to learn stuff is difficult. For me, it wasn't the hardest part. It, To be completely honest, it was exciting. It was fun. I was learning things I had never learned before. I was feeling empowered. Whether I realized it or not, it was the first time in my life where I wasn't under the thumb of something.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: I wasn't under the thumb of something. I was free to do what I wanted to do. I had my own volition, if you will. And so that was really awesome. So that felt great. What did? didn't feel great was the effect it had on friends and family. And then the treatment that kind of came out of that kind of stuff. And that's one of the things that I feel like people can struggle with the most and why communities here outside of belief are going to be very important for people who are even thinking about going through it is because there can be that deficiency that happens. You get judged, you get ostracized, cast out, whatever you want to call it. I fortunately didn't deal with the worst, but I didn't deal with the best either. It was hard. Parents had a really hard time, still have a really hard time with it. It had effects that are still being felt today. That was definitely the hardest part for me is figuring out how to navigate it. And I didn't have the best reaction right out of the gate either. It's like going from having everything be normal and then you don't feel like you've changed that much and the whole dynamic changes on you. For me, it made me very angry and frustrated. And it was feeling like, why are my family who love and care about me, why aren't they considering what I said as uh, taking a look at it or considering what I'm saying? And they weren't. They were just writing me off wholesale. And so then it left me quite angry and frustrated. And unfortunately, that resulted in me lashing out. I got I have to this day, Anthony, Jess, and you do as well. You say I was an evangelical (laughs) atheist because I was like. No, I was just, I was ready to argue with anybody at the drop of a hat. Yeah. You're, and you're and, passionate and the same bring ways. it on. I still am in some instances. So that was tough.
1: And then would you, if you could go back in time, would you have handled it differently? Do you think there was an opportunity for improvement? Absolutely. In your part? Yeah. And that's one of the things that we are trying to do with this podcast where we're talking about creating a course is, we want to help people get through this process in a more effective way because there is religion, does fill in a lot of gaps of what you believe and what you should do and how you should marry. And so when you take that away, there's a lot of gaps. Yeah. Not that religion is a good gap filler, mm-hmm. but it's a gap filler nonetheless. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And so that's going to be an interesting thing to to see with the podcast as we get people and we have community and we get people to comment or ask us questions. Because I also have only navigated this as a guy. I've now experienced what a woman goes through when they deal with this stuff. And I've I've been mesmerized and disturbed to a certain extent by watching some of the communities that I interact with online. One of them is the Born Again Facebook page. I recently have watched several people on there that are women that are married that deconvert and the problems that arise inside of a relationship when you deconvert, but your partner r- remains a Christian. And then what happens when there's kids in the mix? And I'm like, man, I thought I had it tough. Right. Oh my God. And it's like entirely different. And then there's the, there is like the kind of social structure within a Christian marriage where the man is the head of the family. And there's all this, there's all this other weird kind of stuff that I don't really associate with anymore. But I've been watching some of that stuff happen online and people talk about their struggles and what they're dealing with. And and I'm just like, good grief, that's horrible. If I can help in any way, I would like to put out some sort of product or something or dialogue or community for people to connect. Because it's not like you can't solve everybody's problems. Everybody's problems are unique. But there's something about talking about it that is helpful.
1: Well, and tools, getting tools. Yeah, getting... tools,
0: tools. And we might talk about some specific issue, and that might speak to somebody who is dealing with that specific issue. If we bring up something that maybe I've already gone through, I've studied or I understand a concept around it, but they've never heard that before, bam, tools to go into your pocket to help you wherever you're at.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of people who leave the church for sexual preference. That's a... Oh my God, that's yeah, that's, that's a whole really another one way. too. Different experience, and these are all type things that we're going to go through
0: absolutely throughout
1: the podcast. So, just a, a fun brainstorm session for the listeners and to build some excitement, yeah, and hype. What are some of the things that we're going to go over? We're gonna we're gonna talk about theology, yep, history, yep. We'll talk about science. We'll talk about relationship management, yes, how to how to communicate that. We're also going to discuss just some principles of like i I said earlier theology but christian practice because there's a lot of people that may be what about this and like you said it doesn't really take much of uh you know, cognitive conversation for that to unravel very quickly.
0: I don't know. What, what are some other things? That well, one of the, uh, one of the other things I was, I think would be a great idea for our podcast since we are brainstorming and people probably watch this in the first one. They're like, Oh man, they're, we're just starting out. Oh, yeah. But uh, one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to just for me while I'm doing work and stuff is I listen to the fighter pilot podcast because I'm a flight sim nut and I love that kind of stuff. And I love one of the structure things that they have is when they start their podcast, they have housekeeping, this kind of stuff, but then they always take questions from their community. I would love to, as we go, is to have it to where when we start our sessions, and this may not happen for a little while because we're just getting started out, but as we do this, like we open our sessions with like our normal routine, but then maybe we take a few community questions and we discuss those for a few minutes before we get into the subject matter that we have selected for the podcast. But Everything that you mentioned are things that we can go into. I know that I want to have a conversation about that Hillsong documentary yep. that went down. We may talk a little bit about current events in certain instances. I know what I would like to discuss because it's close to me is that the techniques of navigating friends and family through deconversion, how to take your new ideas that you may be formulating or that you get a good grasp on and finding Healthy and creative ways to convey those ideas with integrity to other people to where they receive it. Society right now is in a very controversial state where discourse can quickly devolve into name calling and putting other people down. And well, that's just ridiculous and blah, blah, blah. And you shut the other person down. And the real trick isn't to do that, doesn't let make you, if you upset somebody and run them off with your technique, you just run them off. The real technique is. To convey your idea and your thoughts in a way that it really reaches the person across from you. I'm big on developing those in a way so that people can really use them and be like, that person asked you a question about how you think about something. They really understand how I think about it now because I conveyed it the right way. So we've got a lot of things to talk about.
1: Yeah. Hours (laughs) and hours and hours. But, and for the people who are listening, we've really gone into deep detail. Yeah. We've been at this for a long time. The content, what's really going to help people, what's going to move the needle of subjects like how to stay away from nihilism is a big part of it. I'm excited. I'm excited about that. And as we mentioned earlier, the biggest goal is, is we want you to have an authentic life. Yeah. We, so much of religion or having a religious belief or practice is you were born into something and then we've accepted it. Yeah. The way we marry, the way we may have a relationship with our spouse, sexual activity, the way we raise our kids, how we spend our finances for something to have that much power over your day-to-day life and and the life that you're designing. Mm-hmm. Well, did you pick it? Is that yeah. the best Was one? Was it really yours? Yeah. And that's one of the things where I'm really excited about it because it we'll would go, I think some listeners will say, no, I didn't. Uh, yeah. Actually, now I've, I don't uh, th- really like a lot of this. Yeah. But if not this, then what? Yeah.
0: And that, that is the question that you get to the other side asking yourself is, is there something to replace it with or is it even necessary to replace it with something? Maybe it, Maybe you have to find a whole new thing. And that's the whole thing I end up talking about quite a bit with friends and stuff is it's not so much that I came to this other side and now I have an answer. In fact, I fall back on the I don't know an awful lot. You're going to f- hear me on this podcast. I'll get to something, and I will stop and be like, I don't, ha- I don't know. I'm going to have to go get s- either get some more data about that, or I'm going to reserve judgment on it because I just don't have enough information. And I think that's a really great place to get to. But when it comes to having something to replace, people want to replace this being religion. But I think that the world that we're living in Is more of a testament to it's time to move on and I'm not what we're moving on to, but we need to think it through and come up with something better than this because this is short selling us. And I think that's why deconversion is becoming a topic is because people feel short, short changed by this. It's not doing what it proposes to do. If it's, if it really did, we would be able to see it. And we don't have to go real far to see where religion is being a detriment to progress, to society, to the individual. And that goes for all religions, not just Christianity, but others as well. And it's time to rethink this stuff.
1: What if someone were to say to you, hey, Tim, I hear you. You can have your beliefs. I'll have my beliefs, me believing in God uh, and my faith predominantly Christianity where we are, it's not hurting anyone bug off. It's a
0: free country. They, yeah. they can do that.
1: But what if they said it's not harming anyone? Like, hey, I have my beliefs. It's not harming anybody. We'd be sitting
0: down for a really long conversation as long as they're willing to listen because we can go miles on what is it purporting to do first? What are you proposing? Okay. The way my brain works now, because I'm a critical thinker, because I believe in science and these kind of things. Is that if you're purporting something very specific, then we should be able to take data points to be able to do this. This is one my wife and I have discussed on several occasions, which is she just got done reading Sam Harris's The End of Faith. And it really, this is Sam Harris that put this forward. But he was like, if one of the things that Christianity purports to do is, let's just say it's something like it creates a stable household. Okay, that's real simple. Let's not break out beyond that into other things, but, but that's just one thing it purports stable household. Okay. So if we go into demographics where people who are predominantly Christian, we should see a decrease in domestic violence. We should see stability in the household, lower divorce rates, all of these are things that can be measured and we should be able to go and look and see where those things are. When you go look, the data doesn't correspond that way. It doesn't do it. And so that's where you get into these realms where it may be passive and it's not harming you, but you don't have to look real far to find people who are getting harmed by it or have been harmed by it in the past
1: the hill song Hill song documentary being one of them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: the manipulation that goes in i I would also say, and tell me if you agree or disagree, I feel like, like that the act of practicing religion also creates a lot of vulnerability to you as an individual with what you accept what you believe it makes you vulnerable to people being able to manipulate you uh,
0: yeah and that comes from like the thought process of like bl- blind faith believing in things trusting things explicitly based on no good evidence i often refer to that it it puts people into a thought deficiency where they're unable or and i can talk about this in reference to myself it, personally, is that it puts you in a position where you are like unable to identify threats in front of you because your thought process is blocked on certain things, not all, but on some things, it's like it creates deficiency. My wife and I have watched people get into relationships and get married where there were things done in the name of purity and religion and all of that were put foremost and there were very clear warning signs that on the outside i could identify my wife could identify and yet the individual who was getting into the relationship could not and did not have friends or family around her identifying that because it was functioning within the faith and the belief system and so there were no breaks on the bus until it hit the landmine, and then we abusive situations, and then we end up with abusive situations and things like that that I've unfortunately had to sell you sell on the sidelines, and you see some of the time. I would think that all of our rational faculties should be going towards preventing us from getting into all those because we're imperfect enough. We can still hit those we don't need to have any other things getting in our way, but when it comes to religion, I see more instances of that and that kind of thinking. That can just cause more problems than it solves.
1: More people have been killed in the name of God than anything else throughout the history of humanity.
0: Yeah. Hitch, I'm going to mention Hitch, tons in this podcast. I'm going to warn every listener right now about Hitch. Christopher Hitchens is one of my favorite writers, and he wrote a lot about, he wrote for Vanity Fair, but he writes a lot of stuff criticizing religion. And one of his big things that he always came around to was he was like, name me an moral action that can only be done by a believer or a person in religion. So only a, a religious person can do this moral act. And then he would stop and go, I'll wait. Now name me something that has been a horrible action or a immoral action that has been committed by someone in the name of religion. You can start filling your notebook for me now because you can't. I think of anyone on the other side, because there isn't a really good answer to that, because there really isn't a moral action that a Christian can do that I can't. Right. There, there's no divide there. But there's tons of things that Christians and religious people, uh, Islam, all kinds of stuff, they justify doing horrible things in the they name of religion. Know. As we speak, we're embroiled with watching what's going on in Ukraine right now. And that mainly is a political thing going on over there. But if you take a little bit of a closer look, there is an orthodox Russian clergy behind President Putin over there that is religiously justifying everything that's happening over there right now and saying that it's God's will.
1: We'll put a link to the article.
0: Yeah, we could put a link to the article on that in in here if we want want to. to. But so, yeah, it's negative stuff. And I think, like I said earlier, I think that we deserve better. I not what we're going to, but it may be time to rethink this and move towards something
1: different. What about the people who play lip service? Like you said, they believe in God. And maybe they pray at dinner time, pray at Thanksgiving, maybe go to church on Easter mm-hmm. and one other time. But really, they God's not really a part of their life. It's not like they don't live anything from a, a faith-based, it's just, it's more cultural than mm. it is lifestyle in that regards. Is there any potential danger to that? I think it can create a false theme of antagonism because it
0: inside your brain, it turns into all the good things that are happening to me are only happening because God's letting them happen to me. So one, you don't give proper accountability for the good things that happen to you. It's like, you're thanking God when it's the doctor that bullet out of your shoulder. Sure, Okay. And uh, so there's that, but then it also means that every negative thing that happens to you is God, either God punishing you or the devil coming for you or something like this. And it creates a tough haul as you and I well know we've both been through challenges together. And it's, if you're constantly viewing it as this t- tug of war between good and evil with you and your life, instead of it just being life, sometimes it's unfair. Sometimes th- there was, no good reason for why that bad thing happened to you. But it wasn't because some something was out to get you. It was. It's just because it's the way the world goes. I think having that antagonism going on in your life and viewing your life in this battle, I think it's a way for people to make sense of it. When you're like us, it's a little harder to swallow because it's just the realities of the world.
1: Yeah, it's a random statistic. Yeah, it's just... It's why, why did my grandmother have to get cancer?
0: Yeah, exactly. This is something I would view as a negative thing that believers can do in some instances is that you'll have some sort of huge tragic event happen, okay? And uh, like town, we've been having tornadoes recently all over the place. The tornado rips through the town and it kills 20 people, but it left that one pregnant lady over there. God saved her and everybody would celebrate it that way. What about the other people that died? Did God not care about them? Well, it was part of his plan. We're getting into some really dicey psychological platitudes at this point.
1: Ask the little girl who lost her dad if that was part of his plan. Yeah. That's hard. And it's also a really big claim. Yeah. To say that we can know what is and isn't Mm -hmm. God's plan.
0: Well, and that's something you'll hear repeated on here all the time. And for people who are deconverting and going through material regarding non-belief or trying to understand some of these arguments, the one we always come around to is extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. You're going to hear that from everybody, especially non-believers all the time, because it's really simple. If you put forth something that's really extraordinary, then you better have a, of justifying what that is. You can't just walk into a lab and be like, I have a cure for cancer. Just believe me. You've got to have all your work in a line to show that that it's actually going to work.
1: Well, even more so, you can't go in and say, "Prove to me I don't have the care for
0: cancer." Ah, uh, yeah, and that's again, that'll be getting into advanced stuff for people that are deconverting. That's the concept of shifting the burden of proof, right? Which is something that I I talked to people who are, when my nephew was deconverting and going through this. That was one of the things I was warning him about. Is don't please remember this. If you, if, Because he had a lot of people trying to argue with him. He had a youth pastor that was on his ass and just all kinds of people wanting this. I was like, please remember this one simple point, and I'll put this to everybody who's listening to this podcast for the first time. You're not the one making an extraordinary claim that God doesn't exist. All you're saying is that you don't know and that you don't think that there's good evidence to support it. That's a very neutral position to be in. You're not asserting anything, okay? A lot of people want to say that you are. Well, you're asserting God doesn't exist. Give me a definition of God, first off, and then people fumble on that one. But what happens is, the they're the ones that are making the claim, not you. They're not. Remember, they're not just claiming that a God exists. They're claiming a specific God exists with a specific book and specific things you're supposed to do. There's all of this detail. It gets more extraordinary as it goes. They're the ones making the assertion, not you, which means the burden of proof is on them, not on you. So that time when somebody comes at you and really wants to you prove to me God doesn't exist, you need to just simply say, that's not my job. Right. I don't have to prove to you that God doesn't exist because I'm not proposing that he does. You're the one proposing that he does.
1: And if you want me to live my life in a certain oh,
0: way. Oh, yeah. that Well, that, yeah. You know. All that. But the shifting of the burden of proof is something very common that happens. I'm glad it's in our first podcast for people who are deconverting. Is right. Because that's a fun one to know. And that goes back to what we had mentioned earlier about having a safe place for yourself. Remember, you don't have to go argue this with everybody right out of the gate. You can, you can go take quiet time for yourself to read, reflect, think on these things. And if you have somebody that comes after you like that or wants to dive deep, tell them either you're not ready, you just don't know, but don't let them try and pin you into a corner and make you think it's your responsibility to prove that their God exists or doesn't exist.
1: And this isn't about, if you're going through this process or thinking about it or challenging your own beliefs, you're not entering into a professional debate. Mm -hmm. What you're doing is, is, you're trying to figure out how to live your life. You're trying to figure out how to raise your children. You're trying to figure out what's right, what's wrong. How do I be the most genuine person? So don't throw yourself into a gladiator ring. Yeah, no kidding. And honestly, we're sitting here talking about it. You and I have
0: a passion about these kinds of things. I feel really strongly about this because of my experience. You have an interest in it. We want to be a resource for people to enjoy it. We both have lives outside of this where we're busy. And a lot of people that can go through this process, most of us are busy working a job so we can eat. So diving into the minutiae of conversations revolving around, does God exist or not? Or what are the arguments against this or that? Some people don't have a whole lot of time for it. Podcasts are a great resource because so many people like to listen to them. You're on your road or you're working and you're just listening to a podcast. You can get information really quick and concentrated, which well, is nice.
1: Our goal is to help take decades of information and turn them into something you use.
0: You just go quick. I've been at this. I've been doing this for a while. So if I can help somebody that's only been at it for a day or two or is just in the burgeoning era of questioning it, right. then that would be good for me.
1: So I like that we're bringing up the fact that we have lives outside of this place. We have jobs. Yeah. Uh, we're maybe trying to get our kids to sporting events, paying rent, maybe trying to save up for that vacation. There's, there's a lot of things going on. And the human experience. What are some things... When you went through this process, what are a few items or areas of your life that people may think would have changed that didn't change? And what are some areas of life that did change?
0: I think the short and humorous one is everybody thought I would... (laughs) Fall into ruin and become a drug addict or something. Not a lot changed. The primary stuff that changed for me was in how I think through problems. I certainly love sleeping in on Sunday morning. It's probably one of the best yeah. things ever. But especially after growing up with pressure to go to church on Sunday mornings and you had to be dressed right and all of this other stuff. And having not to do that is just wonderful. So. I would definitely say how I approach problems has changed pretty dramatically. The status of my relationship with my parents and my siblings has changed somewhat. There are some friends that are not there anymore. And then there are some friends that and relationships. We mentioned Anthony earlier that just became fantastic friendships that came out of it as Mm -hmm. well. So did your morality change? I would say to a certain extent, there's a lot of there's a lot of little things in morality that get reanalyzed. Sexuality is one of them, what you think is okay and what is not. My morality if we're gonna throw it on a scale of like how what percentage of my morality changed after I became a non-believer, there were there was maybe I would say ten to fifteen percent of my morality changed. Okay? And it revolved around probably a couple of really big concepts. And then
1: it's, and not, it's pretty much the same. There's a thought process or a conception. If you're not religious, if you don't believe in God, then what prevents you from just going and breaking into someone's house and stealing a bunch of stuff and raping their wives? Yeah, you and, just do whatever you want. Yeah, do whatever well, you
0: want. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, there are some arguments within religious communities about, again, we talk about stereotyping that are just so rooted in just stupidity that and presumption that it beggars belief. And one of those is that the only thing that keeps me from going out and raping and stealing and everything was going to be my belief in God. That's just an absolutely ridiculous claim to think that it, all the other religions on the planet are different from, say, Christianity, and there, there are elements of ethics and morality that exist Outside of religion, people think that humanity needs moral absolutes. And I always thought it was funny like the golden rule, which is treat others the way that you would like to be treated, that that didn't come from the Bible. It's actually from something else. There's a twist on it that's in the Bible, but That is probably the guiding point of most of my ethics, that and do no harm. I like the twist on it that goes the other way, which is, look, if the only reason you're not going out and raping and pillaging and being a heathen and a barbarian level like evil person is because you believe in God and you're trying to have a good afterlife, you're a piece of shit. If that's the only reason you're doing that, then that kind of meets the definition of evil for me. If that's the only thing that prevents you from going and doing that stuff, then
1: yeah. Then yeah, there there's a problem.
0: We've got a problem somewhere else.
1: <laughs> okay. Exactly. Not very much. How many people treated you differently?
0: That's hard to judge because I am a pretty selective person about who I keep around me. The people who were treating me poorly or or where I was having conflict quickly faded to the very outskirts of my life because I just... They didn't associate with me and I wouldn't associate I didn't associate with them. And there was no like animo I didn't feel like real strong animosity or anger about that. I just let it slip away. I've had friends that's happened with anyway, regardless of the religious belief. The ones that it was hardest with is definitely with parents and people that I felt like my opinion mattered to, and then I quickly became ostracized, black sheep, pariah, all those words that you would like to use that, that like kind of put you on the outside. And I mentioned earlier that I'm I'm a pretty cut and dry. It's like what you see is what you get. Right. Good, bad, indifferent. And that I just have a huge problem with insincerity and people that are I'm pretty good about picking up when you're just getting people paying you lip service or just putting on a show for you. And that's the kind of stuff I just run from. And it was really hard when it felt like my family has shifted to that.
1: Did you decide to not be friends with Christians?
0: No. I married a Christian, (laughs) which is a whole other story. My wife was, uh, you know, um, when I met her, she was the girl next door and we hit it off and we, we had common interests and common motivations that existed regardless of our belief. The, the, the hippie Christian thing comes up because that's very much what she considered herself. And we got pushback uh, from friends and family, of course. But we're, we've been together for 10 years. She definitely got flat because she was marrying an atheist. That's for certain. My family loved her because they thought she would bring me back to Jesus.
1: Gotcha. Did the dynamic of you identifying as an atheist and her identifying as a Christian, did it cause any strain on your early relationship and marriage?
0: Um, not in a bad way. I remember when we had just gone on like several dates and she sat me down and was like, I want to know what your intentions are with this relationship and read me the right act and I still pick on her to this day, I was like, all you were doing was galvanizing the hunt for me because I was like, oh man, I'm totally going out with this girl. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't know what she's gotten herself into. <laughs> well, how,
1: how were you able to make a 10 year marriage work when there was two different belief systems around this subject of religion?
0: One, number one would be mutual respect. Number two would be boundaries both ways i I found it's always it's easy for me to set a boundary for someone else not to cross regarding me it's a whole nother thing for me to enforce boundaries for myself that i don't cross going over into another person's thing and that's very important people need to know how to do that kind of stuff keep your yeah keep yourself in check first and then worry about keeping people on the periphery but mutual respect good boundaries and then we just we talked about ethics a lot and cha- our ethics all line up. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what we believe at the end of the day about what happens when you die or that stuff. We lined up on everything else and then we love each other and we have fun right? and get along.
1: And you guys, I think one time you said, we want to help people in the same way. We want to yeah. treat people well, the same way. Yeah, and she and I
0: always joked about that we liked being the atheist Christian couple because it was like showing everybody, hey, this is how it's done. This is called crossing the aisle in a world that doesn't like crossing
1: aisles. So speaking of crossing aisles, are you telling me that just because you deconverted or you chose to leave your religion means that you can still talk to other Christian people?
0: Believe it or not, Isaac, that is the case. (laughs) And it's very important that you do that and you develop a good method and a way to interact that way. It's so important and it's really making a difference for the entire cause that we're after
1: right now, too. I think this is important. When we talk about deconversion, it's not only leaving your religion, but it's also reestablishing some beliefs. Would you say that's appropriate to say?
0: It's, it's reestablishing your ethics and your beliefs about other things to a certain extent. I certainly feel that way. I rethought so many different things and it changed how I interact with people. But it also highlighted to me the stereotypical behavior of believers, and the, and how to counteract that kind of stuff. And the way you counteract it is crossing the aisle, and you make it work. You find a way to to work around, and then that just passively causes people to to reevaluate and think about things differently.
1: So at the very beginning, we talked about a technical definition of what deconversion is. Mm-hmm. What does deconversion for you personally what has it meant for you
0: It has meant a complete change in my lifestyle and a reevaluation of my beliefs and my ethics it has taken me from being a person that could change from situation to situation into a person that I'm pretty much the same no matter who I'm around Are you happier I certainly feel that way I love sleeping in on Sundays.
1: <laughs> Speaking of sleeping in on Sundays, if we're going to get this published, we're going to need to wrap it up and edit it so that we can sleep in tomorrow. But I think that's a good – a great stopping place on what deconversion is. Mm-hmm. And for the people who are listening, if you have any questions or thoughts or opinions about deconversion, this is a, a culturally made word. This isn't a actual Webster dictionary yeah, type I, of every, word, so –
0: it's funny you say that. Every time I write it down, it still gives me the red underlining like that word is misspelled.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, but so it's very much a cultural definition. And we'd love to hear your questions and interactions and what you take from this question of what is deconversion. conversion. Awesome. All right. Till next time. Have a good one, everybody. All right. I think that was our best one. I really do, too. <laughs>